Yad eh, and welcome to Determination, a podcast about sovereignty, self-determination, indigenous brilliance, and the people who embody them. I'm your host, Dara Blackwater Yunishye. Besh bichai nishle, do tsena jeni bashish chin, ado besh bichai dashiche, ado touch ini dashinale. I am very excited to share this conversation with you today. I'm speaking with Carol Lindstrom, the author of We Are Water Protectors, a Caldecott award-winning and New York Times best-selling children's book. We Are Water Protectors is about an indigenous girl standing against a black snake threatening the water in her community. It's illustrated by Michaela Goad, and it's honestly one of the most beautiful children's books I have ever seen. You have to check this out. Before we get started, I'd like to mention that this episode is supported by the Tucson Foundations through the University of Arizona College of Law. A big ahead to the Tucson Foundations for making these conversations possible. Let's get back to Carol Lindstrom. Carol is Anishinaabe and is tribally enrolled with the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe. She's a water protector, a writer, a mother, a person finding her way home, and as I learned in our pre-show chatter, a huge tennis fan, Serena Williams especially, a woman after my own heart. It was an honor to speak with Carol, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Without further ado, here's Carol Lindstrom. There's a line at the store. Ooh, I'm indigenous. Oh, creator, it's a bore. Ooh, I'm indigenous. I hear the clerk break a snore. Ooh, I'm indigenous. I could sleep on the floor. Ooh, I'm indigenous. I hear your whispers behind my back, looking at me like I'm a here. Um, my name is Carol Lindstrom. Uh, my traditional name is White Lightning Woman. I am a citizen of the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe, and um, I'm also a Métis, a citizen of the Métis Nation, which uh, my tribal nation is located in um, North Dakota, what is North Dakota, between sort of on the border of um, Canada and North Dakota there. And I live now in um, the so Washington, D.C. area. Okay. So you grew up in North Dakota? Actually, I, my mother grew up in North Dakota. My mom is from the, um, well, she grew up near the Williston, North Dakota. There was a um, satellite tribe or satellite reservation, I should say. Um, near um, Williston that my mother grew up on and um, so she was from there but she met my father um, and then they moved to Nebraska and, and I grew up in Omaha or I was born in Omaha grew up in a small little town called Bellevue Nebraska so oh wow since we're talking about water today in your book we are water protectors I'm interested as we're talking about places what the water was around each of the places that you've been lived and where your family is from? Um, yes. Um, well, my uh, mom is, like I said, from North Dakota. So the Missouri River was a big, um, important part of um, where she grew up. And then in Omaha, um, the Missouri River runs right through Bellevue and Omaha. So I also grew up on the Missouri River. Um, and then now I currently live in the DC area. So the Potomac River is a really big part of my life. I live on Pis Piscataway tribal um, lands right now instead of my homeland. So mm. um, I love your book so much. <laughs> I've bought it for pretty much every child in my life. I don't have children, but all of my friends' children 
own your book now and I've read it dozens of times to them at bedtimes and story times and um so your book is we are water protectors it's the new york times bestseller congratulations that's huge to you and michaela goad who is the illustrator um and it that's the thing too it, it is such a beautiful book how did you get connected to her to put pictures to your words oh you're so very kind thank you so much um yes oh michaela oh, i adore her she's such a wonderful person mm. michaela's Klingit, so she's from the Klingit nation which is a lot from the alaska um the alaska area there um she i actually didn't uh know her i knew of her um but when in the publishing business typically you don't um well certainly when i was starting out because water protectors um was my debut we'll say i had a picture of a prior but it was with a really small publisher in canada and it, it just was yeah so i consider water protectors sort of my debut but um so what typically with the publisher they will um find they have an art you know sort of their files of illustrators and so i knew and we knew that the illustrator needed to be native mm -hmm. um so that was really the only thing i knew you know at, at the time that, that you need to have a native illustrator and so um we just you know i think it was brilliant um on mcmillan's roaring brooks part to also you know think about the watercolor aspect of it because it just makes sense mm, that a yeah. water has watercolor images in it yes so that's um kind of how i was introduced to michaela is through you know the publisher and then typically in the publishing world you don't talk to the illustrator during the book's creation mm -hmm. well it's a forbidden kind of a thing it's just mm. not done because there are, it's possible for the author to um sway you know or um you know kind of give their bias of how the book should be or what they see sure. the illustrations being and that's sort of bad you know you don't want that right that's, i mean that's our, our book with both of ours and so yeah. she deserves or he whoever's illustrating deserves to however they interpret your words that is their job and so my always say to people don't ever tie the hands of the illustrator because that's you know that is not good for you mm. it's does disservice to the job to the work um so typically that's why you don't do that but we mm. knew in this instance that well i do and, and I, michaela and i kind of even though i didn't know her i think she both we both knew because the book was a, a native um protagonist and I'm a native author that um, we needed to talk because you know there are 574 federally recognized tribes in mm -hmm. the United States um, but we're all different you know we all have different cultural uh, you know whatever all that's so different and so we knew we needed to talk so mm -hmm. we kind of just behind the scenes messaged each other and messenger was like let's talk so we would just <laughs> talk about like i shared with her um you know um information about my tribe stuff that she so she could see the d details and you know she did that's kind of something well you can see in the book Sorry. <laughs> um, that you know she did read things like with the uh, floral elements that are kind of throughout like on the cover yeah all those details are um because 
the Ojibwe um, are known as the floral beadwork people. And okay. so these would have been something that would have been done in floral, I mean, beadwork on, you know, clothing, um, pretty much everything would have been sure. decorated in some way with, um, yeah. And so she did that throughout the book, you know, by just sort of carrying through these elements, which I think is so yeah. important to making the book authentic, you know, and things yeah. like, you know, because she's from the Tlingit nation, um, you know, she's used to different type of animals and mm -hmm. uh, living, you know, creatures than we are. Like we have, well, my people are from the plains, so buffalo would have been important, um, you know, wolves and things like that. Whereas mm -hmm. um, she would have been the sea and the whales and fish and um, sea on lions and that kind of thing. Seals. Yeah stuff like that so we knew we needed to make sure that we spoke so finally eventually then our illustrator or our publisher was like well you guys should probably talk you know well we <laughs> are on it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like no no no, no. but uh, she knew that I wasn't going to, to to tell her you know Michaela how to do the illustrations or who this person looks like or what she looks like mm -hmm. just that um what was the important things that were to be included and let her take that as she did and yeah i think that's partly why oh, sorry books are so success successful when yeah. that is done when the illustrator and you know because sometimes uh i've seen manuscripts of authors you know in critique groups and whatnot where there are all these illustrator notes you know like there's text and then in red illustrator note make the girl has freckles or something oh, yeah you know those aren't no if I was an illustrator and I got a manuscript like that, that would turn me off. Mm -hmm. You're telling me basically I can't have any artistic freedom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're telling me who this person, you know, and that's not, yeah. Anyway, so that's yeah. how I met Michaela. And now we're really, really good friends. I just adore I love her. That. We talk a lot. Yeah. That's so cool because everything that I'm hearing in like how this book was created is about relationship. And like, it's such, it seems like a really intimate relationship to take this thing that you worked so hard on this manuscript, and then to put so much trust in somebody that you've never met before, but you, you know, she's a native woman and you had probably seen some of her work before and you just, you trusted her and it resulted, and she trusted you with, you know, your words and, and her spending all this time putting this art into something that she trusted your vision and um and then it turned out into something so beautiful like seriously for anyone listening buy this book check this book out google it because it's it's some of the most beautiful artwork and like the story behind it it's cool because the story and the fact that you got it published is so very um just it's it's amazing. Like, I don't even know what words, but you know, to have a book about water protectors, like the, I mean, I grew up with native books when I was a kid because I grew up in um, New Mexico. And so there were always going to be local authors that had like little, you know, local publishing things or like stories at the library. And I was really privileged to have that sort of upbringing and to be rooted in my community. Um, but this book is, it goes beyond that in my mind, because one, it was, you know, nationally recognized as, you know, we are putting our stamp on this and it's a, is it a Caldecott 
Calicut, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a Caldecott <laughs> book. And I remember being a kid and like every time my mom's a teacher. So we had all the Caldecott books in our house all the time. And so I remember that was like a big thing. And so the fact that, you know, it's got that stamp on it and it's, it got out there. I love that for the native children, especially the native children who are maybe not so connected to their communities where they're always seeing books like that. And to have this on the shelves, like I've seen this on the shelves in every bookstore that I've been in, in the past couple months, I always look for it because usually I'm buying it for someone's kid. Um, But yeah, it's cool that it got published. It's cool that you, you and Michaela navigated those relationships so beautifully in your own way and you're like you brought that indigenous mindset of collaboration and trust to this relationship that usually is like oh no you don't do that you don't talk to them and then you get two native women in there and you're like oh no we're talking like we're collaborating <laughs> we're exchanging ideas this is what we do and I love that so much that is so true that is so true there's so many things you said there are just so um yeah, uh, there are so much to say, you know, about the publishing industry. And, you know, when I first started out myself publishing, because I have been writing, um, you know, seriously, like I knew when I was young, young, like I would always probably, I always wanted to write. I loved words, loved books. I loved the library. I was always there. Um, but I, I didn't know when I grew up that, I mean, we didn't have like, you know, picture book and then middle grade and young adult and all these different genres like we do now we just went from like you know some picture book kind of and then you had like Mary Poppins I remember and some like Paddington uh and then then it went to like juvenile fiction or something and then right to adult so I just you know for me a young adult was adult books Mm -hmm. um and for me now publishing um well, let's say when I started, which was like, I think I've been maybe 13 years um, sort of full-time trying to get published. Um, I, you remember in 2000, and I don't even know, maybe 13 or something like that, 10, going to conferences, book conferences and having agents and stuff tell me, um, yeah, yeah, no one's ever going to publish native books wow. um, to the trade. It's it's too small of a niche, you know. But I'm thinking, but like these aren't just native books for yeah. native children. <laughs> these are books for all children because yeah. we need to, you know, windows and mirrors. Like we need to be seen and you know not just seeing ourselves reflected back, but we other children need to see us. That's a problem, you know. Like we are here next to you, probably in class. You don't even know that we are, you know, I, throughout my life, even now, so many times if people find out I'm native, they'll say like, oh, I thought we killed you all. Um, I got that too. And I got it in yes. DC. What is Gosh, It's what, like, I thought we killed you all. I'm sorry. You missed me. Huh? You know, it's, that's what an is, insane thing to say to somebody. Yeah. And the fact mm-hmm. that you're getting it too, I'm just like, who is saying, it, who are these Right. People? Who are they? Who would yeah. say that to anybody? Like, who yeah. says that? I don't know. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. So it tells me, gosh, right? We have so much work to do. Yeah. And now we've got so many art, um, authors and illustrators coming out finally that their books are like uh, amazing, which we knew they were. We yeah. knew we always had awesome stories because we are storytellers. Yeah. Um, but yes. And so now we finally get the world to see that. And now they yeah. read these books and they're like, hello. and 
finally. Yeah. And so I'm so grateful that that's happening. You know, when I started, mm-hmm. when I wrote Royal Water Protectors, it um, really started out as a young adult novel because um, I, I knew that I had a lot to say um, about, you know, just more heavy stuff than the picture book could do. Mm-hmm. But then that's, Water Protectors is how I got my agent, amazingly enough. And I had no idea that's like serendipity has always mm-hmm. been a friend of mine. People, you know, <laughs> always be grateful and look at, you know, those little things that come to you. Yeah. Um, because that's what happened with this. And, um, and then when I got my agent, she was like, well, did you, I said, I, you know, we decided like, I, this is going to take me a while to get the story out because, you know, a novel takes, oh, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And I knew this, we, this needed, it was so much more, you know, the world needed to know because uh, I think, well, Standing Rock happened in 2016 and I wrote the book in 2017. So I'm like, God, people need to know. And it wasn't just Standing Rock, it's all Indigenous people fighting for right. clean water everywhere. Um, and so that's when we decided to roll up at a picture book. And I wrote the book much more, it was more narrative than it was, it is now, like it had an, you know, story about a girl that did this stuff and she encountered construction equipment and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it, it just didn't work. Something wasn't right about it. And my agent said, well, how about, did you ever think about maybe writing more lyrically? And I went, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Lyrical, lyrically. I, okay. To me, when I hear a lyrical, I think of poems, you know. And sure. Poet, and I, I ever thought of myself as a poet. Um, so then I kind of, I mean, my agent's awesome. She's always said, well, just don't, don't do anything at first when you edit, when anything, you just take three days and just like let it soak in. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's what I do. I just sort of let it sit in there. I don't do anything. Even if I might be tempted to, I don't. Yeah. Usually I'm like all cranky and I'm like, I can't do that. That's my first <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what you think I am. And then I, I, I don't know, but this, I just sat down on the third day and went, it just came out like this yes it clicked and so yeah I think it is it's an amazing process really how things happen and you know when it happened I I was just grateful that I had a book out and that somebody signed me and that maybe we got a book and people a couple people would buy it yeah and and maybe some people would get a message and some people would some children especially because they're the ones that really get it (laughs) yeah and then they could maybe tell their parents or nag him to death, like I used to do with my dad. I remember that, you know, nagging him to quit smoking as a kid. Yeah. Daddy, you gotta quit smoking. Daddy, you gotta quit smoking. <laughs> Pretty soon, right? They just are like, oh, God, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and that's what I hope for the kids. Like, just nag the hell out of Turn the water off. Don't do this. Think about what you're doing. But I mean, yeah. yeah. And it seems to get it. You know, I think that one thing that um, I remember, remember a uh, uh, teacher told me that I spoke to in one of the school things. And, and she said, you know, of all the books that we read this year, um, like this last year with the pandemic being like, you know, before vaccinations, well, even though we still are where we are, but um, she said, the kids didn't want to hear stories about the pandemic itself. They didn't want to hear about, you know, that was just too close to them about being, protecting others and masking or whatever. Mm-hmm. She said, but your book, they just really gravitated to, and I guess in our book, Michaela and mine, uh, because she said they, um, they got and grasped onto the idea of protecting, you know? So she said mm-hmm. they knew that wearing masks was protecting others, was protecting themselves, 
but and they also felt empowered you know and mm -hmm. I thought why that's really that makes me feel so good that you know so stories like that you know I think we sometimes don't think about the other power of them you know and where children are and what they need you know at this, yeah at these times because as adults we like to say and tell them what we think they need but you know I think we forget to listen to what they're actually telling us they yeah. need yeah and I love how in your book at the very end, you have kind of like a pledge of it's like a water protector's pledge. And so the whatever child it belongs to can sign it and kind of make this, you know, official like this, like I am, I, I'm vowing to protect water sort of thing. And so I'm interested in like what it was like writing that, because I'm sure you did a lot of reflection and thought about what it means to be a water protector. And so if you will, I'm interested in just kind of your thought process of like what water protecting actually means to you. And maybe you have the book, if you wouldn't mind reading the pledge, that would be, it would be awesome to hear what you wrote. Oh, sure. Thanks. Oh, um, well, golly. Um, I think I remember, you know, well, let me just say, I always wanted to write for adults, as I mentioned. I never felt that I would write for children because I didn't understand. I didn't know all the genres until I had my son, um, who is now 14. He's my IT guy. Um, <laughs> he was, you know, as soon as, you know, he was out, like I knew books were going to be everywhere in the house for him, like the softy, squishy things. And they were, they were all over the place. And we read every night and every morning, as soon as he got up, I would just hold him and I would read. And my husband, same thing, you know. Um, so books were huge in his life. Um, and when I had him and I read, read so many books and also didn't read a lot about Native peoples, um, I started thinking, well, maybe I should be thinking about writing for children because uh, I act like a kid. No, I mean, I'm never going to grow up and I like little people and I get them. And so then um, that's where that came from. And then when the writing for kids part and then. So when reading to my son, um, I think I. And I always, that's what I always think of when I write a book. Um, mm. And I, so I think of um, how, you know, for him to write, read a book like this and then to actually physically sign something and to pledge. You know, I knew how much it meant to him. I knew mm -hmm. um, that he would really uh, stand behind that and it would yeah. be you know, important to him. And so I felt like, well, if it's important to him, it's got to be important to other kids. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where I decided that idea came from. And I was so grateful that the publisher, because I know sometimes, you know, you're very limited to 32 pages. Mm. And then, oh, so, and it's very, you know, I mean, it's so, and so she was so wonderful. They were so wonderful in allowing me to keep it in the that's book. That's awesome. Because I think that has made such a big difference. I think yeah. that it, it, I think that it, 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 it first, children the young people especially and it, it is a sense of empowerment like i yeah. am signing this i made this pledge i put my name on it and yeah i am you know i know for me that makes a big mm -hmm. thing i don't know but anyway that's where it came from so i will be happy to read the earth steward and water protective pledge i will do my best to honor mother earth and all its living beings including the water and land 
I will always remember to treat the earth as I would like to be treated. I will treat the winged ones, the crawling ones, the four-legged, the two-legged, the plants, trees, rivers, lakes, the earth, with kindness and respect. I pledge to make this world a better place by being a steward of the earth and a protector of the water. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I always, no matter how many times I read the book, I always just love it so much too. Like, too. I know this by heart, but I still, I love this book. I mean, not because I wrote it, just because of what it's done in the world. And yeah, you know, the difference it's making the world for, you know, just attention and made to so many things, indigenous uh, water, yeah. land, everything. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting going back to something you said about how you're at, uh, at book conferences, you were being told, you know, we, nobody wants to hear native books. Nobody's interested in that. It seems like a greater theme of that's what native storytellers have been told by the outside world for so long. And um, I was living in Tulsa earlier this year. I had the chance to connect with Sterling Harjo, who is making reservation dogs. And listening to him, yes, it's so exciting. Um, he has those same stories of being a filmmaker and being told there's no market for Native people. There, nobody wants to see Native people. Um, or like, it's so niche. All of these things that you're saying you were told, he has gotten that too. And now he's making this wildly successful show that's being streamed legally by hundreds of thousands yeah. of households. <laughs> probably, uh, right, exactly. Anymore. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. And it just, it gives me, you know, that gives me hope in these people that are finally getting it and seeing the results of what Native stories can do, that they're not just like, you know, these, I don't even know what they think our stories are, yeah. but like, yeah. these, are, these are them yeah. and they're yes. successful and they're important and people love them. I think what you're not to interrupt you, but I think yeah. a lot of people want to hear and what they think is, you know, the, uh, you know, sad teared Indian that's heartbroken and you know been you know and and like that's not who we're, we're still here yeah <laughs> we are we've been through a hell of a lot and we're still gonna be here and we ain't yeah. going nowhere and we are finally um getting the say that we deserve because mm -hmm. you know we got a lot of stuff to do we got a lot of stories we got a lot of you know we are it, we are stewards of the earth and mm -hmm. I mean everybody who embraces water protectors of course is as well and I don't mean to imply that just native people can be but um mm -hmm. it, but throughout time immemorial the people who have kept the earth uh, intact yeah. have been indigenous peoples they've yeah. known how to work with the know the land known how to live off the land, know how to respect the land, all the things that we have forgotten how to do since I, colonization mm -hmm. and since, since, you know, since capitalism really has become more important than I, the, the planet. And we see the repercussions now. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people keep scratching their head and going, we need to do something about this. People have been talking, we've been talking about that forever. So yeah. Do it, you know, like when is this hold up going to be? What mm -hmm. are we waiting for? It's not this planet can take so much. 
-hmm. it's so hard sometimes you know what uh you know isn't it i mean i think when you go out in the world and i don't know for me sometimes when i see like construction equipment it's almost painful it mm -hmm. hurts to me you know to mm -hmm. see things like these trees and plants that were there medicines and things gone and taken for what and then think of what lived in there the animals and tree birds and like where are they gonna go what do we yeah. expect them to do and then they get mad at them for eating their plants and their flowers and i'm like well <laughs> yeah. what do you want them to yeah. eat yeah they can't go to the grocery store you know deers are us and buy <laughs> you know a pack of flowers that don't yeah. work that way so feed them and be grateful that we still have them because you yeah. can't kill you know stop killing everything basically yeah when I was hiking the Colorado trail in Ute homelands last year, we, you know, a lot of the trail is above 10,000 feet. So you're up really high and you're in this, these beautiful mountains and, um, there are mines up there. A lot of them are old and abandoned now. And then the end is kind of near like Silverton, Colorado, where the gold King mine spilled, you know, when the animus river turned yellow, a couple God, almost 10 years ago now, I think. Um, but it seeing those mines, it just always felt like a wound, you know, like like the earth was wounded there and just open. And they're walking by each one. I just I really felt it that it's like that vulnerability and that um that need for healing. And yes, yeah, it's yep, it's, it's true. It's I agree that we uh, as I'm working with policy, so I graduated from law school last year, and I studied mostly indigenous law and policy. And so that's something that I'd really like to talk to you about as well, because I think you might have a bit of a different perspective. And a lot of water protectors that I follow or talk to, it seems like there's just so much passion and so much truth and then as like people who went to law school, it's, I see it as our jobs to kind of almost like be that, be the translators mm -hmm. and take that passion and truth that a lot of people who are like working on the ground, like I'm, I've been watching what's happening with line three right now. And it's yeah. just like, yeah. yeah, they need, they need those voices because they're the ones who are there, you know, tying themselves to, a, to construction equipment and getting arrested and putting their lives at risk. And, um, yep. and then they need the people who will protect them. It's almost like lawyers are water protectors, protectors in a way too, right. because they're needing people to um, stand up for them in court and stand up for the water in court, both. It almost becomes a yep. split issue. Um, yep. And it's, it can get really over, overwhelming yeah. really quickly. Um, because there is so much passion and feeling and, and I think every, it's a collective experience, which is great in some ways, but I hate that it has to be such a painful one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, you know what? I just, um, I, so many things about our people. Mm. It's so sad the way with a lack of, um, no, like media of, of everything. Okay. So like, Standing Rock. That was exactly why I wrote this book. 
because when I um, myself didn't hear about the camp until about June of 2006 and it opened, it started April 1st of 2006, I said 2016, 2006, mm-hmm. yeah. 2016, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I heard about it and I was, I, geez, I don't even know, maybe something on Facebook, probably social media. Mm-hmm. And then that's the only place I saw it. I'm like, well, what the heck is like, where's like, CNN where are all these major news people like what is going on this is like big stuff here Mm -hmm. you see all these people coming for this this is not some small you know and then finally it kind of grew some but still nothing nothing like it should have gotten nothing like it should have gotten Mm -hmm. I feel if it was possibly other different people Mm -hmm. um it would have gotten more attraction um and now it's the same thing with line three I want to go so bad but I just can't I don't feel like from here with my son and my mm-hmm. I, but I feel like I'm doing what I can you know with I with my stories and whatnot but why again why is it this way why don't why is the mainstream not caring you know what what is going on yeah it's almost like this is an Indian issue but it is mm-hmm. not an Indian issue you know water is our issue what is so hard about that I think when people say well you know the native people in it but you realize the Missouri River and all those rivers goes run downstream and you are all affected from that like mm-hmm. we are all connected to this like where is this disconnect happening and that's yeah. what really I flabbergasts me is people well again like water just comes out of my tap right and it doesn't have any you know there's this like big huge water tank in the sky that's floating yeah. around with clean water for us all right. now people that is not how it works it's the same the way you get beef yep. from the grocery store like yes. you don't think about where it comes from you just eat it yeah buy it, consume it eat it mm-hmm. exactly consume let's, let's think about all that stuff you know exactly and I, that's frustrating to me because that to me is what the mainstream media needs to be doing okay so start telling people these things do your job and be a journalist what is journalism journalism used to be something i thought like once upon a time when you did stories and you told people things and you made people educated yeah it's frustrating it is truly wild i had a conversation doing these podcasts has been so much fun because i just get to pick brilliant people's brains And I had a conversation with a woman, Elizabeth Azuz, who she is Yurek and she's on the Cultural Fire Management Council. And they do these cultural burns. It was so incredible because she was saying pretty much exactly what you're saying as far as like indigenous people, women especially, are holding this knowledge that has so much power and value to undo and stop the harm that we've already done to the earth. And for her, she's specifically talking about like, uh, you know, letting native plants thrive, using charcoal to clean the water tables, using burns to protect the elders and protect our homes and and help the wildlife and everybody thrive. And and yet it's like, because these forces of colonization really like their attack on indigenous peoples has been to call us incompetent from the very beginning the earliest supreme court cases call us wards of the state and say like basically we we can't we're not fit to make our own decisions you know we're savages savage the savages the wolf will just continue moving west like we're going to be obsolete and (laughs) so it's kind of this thing of like what exactly what you said i mean that's why we're still here yes those words hold so much power because we didn't go away and not only did we not go away we're here watching people destroy something that we know how to protect but our 
the policies that are in place are actively preventing us from doing that. And it's like, it is just the strangest thing to like watch other people destroy us and themselves and the earth while actively stopping us from doing <laughs> the things it's mind-boggling to do that will help <laughs> it's mind-boggling it's much like watching a kid do something stupid yeah. and then you're just like just figure you know stop you yeah. can keep trying to put the damn round peg into the square hole <laughs> you know are you gonna do it for the four years till you turn 20 because if you are we're going to have some serious <laughs> talking here, kid. All right. I am going to have a serious convo. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I don't understand. Here we have, you know, these people running countries saying, what are we going to need to get a handle on this? Meanwhile, you keep pumping, you taking oil, you're extracting the crap out of things. You pump, you know, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Why do you keep doing this i mean i know why we know why it's money it's money it's yeah. capitalism it's ex- capitalism is extraction it's uh like you it's all just take 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 mm-hmm. resources like mining all of that stuff we just that's plundering and like everything right mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know i mean that's the, that mindset has got to change mm-hmm. it has got to change because what does that say to people that we are still here mm-hmm. we have always been here we are not going anywhere, even though y'all tried to kill us. We're still here. Does that tell you anything about us at all, people <laughs> that are not native, indigenous? Does that tell you anything about us? Yeah. We are in, we are resilient. I don't mm-hmm. we are gonna we will there's nothing you're gonna do to stop us. And we, you know, there's nothing. We yeah. can't. <laughs> so just like why not just take our side and, and do the right thing? Yeah. There's this, yeah. this fight. I don't get it. You know, especially like I was talking to my husband about this. I'm like, what is wrong with people? Like, we're not saying you have to stop like driving your car and stop like living. We're saying do it where you can like think about renewables, sustainables, ways that you don't, you know, why is there not, why are people not embracing that? Why is, you know, there are jobs there. Mm-hmm. There are jobs there. There are some great jobs there. Why not be happy that you could re tool your resume and not be this oil man or a pipe fitter or something and you know become like a solar panel person that i mean how Mm -hmm. come on man stop (laughs) this stupid is it macho stuff i don't know maybe Mm -hmm. i don't think we have time for that we don't have time you better get me back on for that because (laughs) you know we see these countries in africa and the women the women are running these countries they bring them back from nothing and why is that? Again, it's what you said about beginning and when we started talking. It's people, what Native people are, and that's community. Yeah, absolutely. We always care about each other. Are all We are all related. We know that. We know that the only way that we can survive and that we did survive is by being and helping each other. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that now as well. I mean, we, I think a lot of people got a lesson in humility and community through the pandemic when we weren't allowed to have community at all. And then you realize how much you need it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like rethinking what other people mean to them. And, and then also like not to interrupt you, but yeah. we're thinking about uh, something so simple as a mask could save someone's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and not to do it is just so selfish and self-centered and inconsiderate, especially when we know that 
little people under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated against this. And mm. they're the most vulnerable. And to put them in those kind of situations, I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are like the most important thing to us in our world, right? Or the young mm-hmm. people in their future. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we reading? Why are we just not doing the simplest thing of a mask? To me, that makes them who are the most, the highest uh, percentage of vaccinated population are Native Americans. Yeah, and to me that says something, right? The people that should be the most fearful of mm. a vaccination from the government to what was done to our people are the ones that are taking the most. Yeah, that should say something to people. Absolutely, and it's. I was living in Tulsa um, earlier this year, like I mentioned, and it was so cool because when vaccinations were starting to roll out, it was like tribes, and this is everywhere, not just Tulsa, but tribes stepped up tribes were the ones who were reaching out to native and non-native people everywhere and saying like hey let us vaccinate you have you gotten your vaccination yet we have an appointment for you I think I got a text or an email from like the Muscogee Creek the Osage the Cherokee like everyone in that area was was trying to get everyone vaccinated and it's cool. I spoke to um, Crystal Hottaway who is macaw she works on their broadband And we were talking about how the way that tribes stepped up to the plate to roll out vaccinations is also tied to that community mindset where they know that having Native people and the non-Native people both living in their community and living around their community vaccinated is going to help keep their community safe as well. And so we have this innate understanding that everything happening around you also affects you. And so you have to make sure that everybody's healthy. And we were talking about how that applies to everything, whether it's vaccinations. And we were talking about broadband at the time and, and having, I think there's that same idea about internet of like, oh, don't give the internet, don't give the Indians internet. They don't need it. Or like they, it's not important or whatever. But what (laughs) people don't understand is like, giving tribes the ability to connect their citizens is also going to help connect rural America and everybody around them as well. And so these community mindsets that we know so well, that is just, you know, it's not even, it's not, it's not something you think about. It's just our nature. If you're, I believe if you're raised in a native community, that's just what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think, you know, back to like what you're saying about, like just this whole COVID thing in the community, like look at about, like think of, I was thinking like, look at the blockades, you know, they were like in the tribal reservations, like you are not coming through here if you are not, you know, from the reservation. I mean, our people were just so diligent and vigilant about protecting our people and the elders where we know that we need to protect, mm-hmm. that we know it's important for the people. And yeah. Yeah, and I'm, that makes me just so proud and honored and so, yeah. just so grateful to be who we are because for the longest, well, when I was young uh, and when I grew up, uh, I was, it was not that way. Like I was so ashamed of my ancestry because um, I mean, I was just, I grew up in Nebraska and I mean, oh God, my first boyfriend who was like, who I married used to say the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And your boyfriend said, that. Oh, yeah, my husband and my husband. Mind oh you. My I married God. him because I was so, yeah, Indians drink pine salt. Um, he used to call me a squaw all the time. And wow. his father, and, my, and mind you, and he was a big policeman. And then people would say to me, Well, 
try what you with. And I was doing well, I'm, you know, Chippewa, which I know now is a slur for Ojibwe because mm-hmm. you couldn't say, well, they're just learn to say Ojibwe. <laughs> um, and so I would say Chippewa and then people would go, well, I never heard of that. And I'd think, they never heard of that, maybe I'm not. Well, I heard of Cherokee, which everybody has. And so I'm like, okay, well then maybe I'm not. See, because my mother, um, when she grew up, uh, my grandmother was in boarding school. She was a boarding school survivor. Mm-hmm. She was in the Powhatan Indian boarding school along with my two great aunts. And uh, I think, you know, that really changed my mother in terms of how my mother mothered. Um, So my mother didn't know, like, I would ask my mom, like, my mom, we say we're Ojibwe, but we're Métis, what does that mean? And my mom didn't really understand it either. Like she couldn't articulate even though she was full, full on, you know. Um, I think because of of the shame, you know, my grandmother being in boarding school and all of that Mm -hmm. wiped away and you just don't, you know, you're really good at all that stuff. So you just try to blend in and that's what I did. Um, and then as I got older, um, and I, you know, and wiser, <laughs> I started to think, why am I ashamed of who I am? You know, this isn't right. I should not be ashamed of myself. <laughs> mm. Um, and then I think, um, I don't know what, you know, my mom passed away maybe like 15 years ago. So I never really got to talk to her about, you know, really understanding who we are now. Like, I don't think, now that she really understood all of those things, and now that I do know all these things, and where we come from and who I am, um, you know, I just would let people tell me, you know, like I, if they, did, I, because my mom didn't know, I, and mm-hmm. if they, if, if, if a non-Indigenous person told me, I just thought maybe well, they knew more than me, and well, they said, mm-hmm. well, you're only a quarter Indian, a quarter, you know, so that doesn't, so you're not enough to say you are, and I think, okay, well, are you certainly, you know more than me about who I am, and who, wow. who, who is that, who yeah. hey, would let people do that to us, but I don't let that happen to my son, he's 14, I refuse, mm-hmm. so that's really kind of where my activism, I guess, started, you know, and that's sort of what I tell people to about activism, is you don't you know there are lots of different ways to be activism an mm-hmm. activist and you know to me to write a book I mean I never thought it would happen to be like this and to come to what it is and mm-hmm. if one person reads it and I get to tell if one person realizes this and learns and 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 you know but for children to see that and for me to say to them you know you can use your voice and you don't have to do you know huge things are just using your voice is a huge thing you know like mm-hmm. me I use my voice and this happens mm-hmm. using your voice to talk to other kids and to spread the word is mm-hmm. huge so I think that that really also resonates well with them too is that you know because uh, you can you know using your voice in, in activist is you know there are different ways to do that like my son I take mm-hmm. to the here in DC we're very fortunate to live as I said nearby so when there were uh, marches and stuff um from and Stanley Rock came, uh, many people came for that. I brought my son to the protests and I was so grateful that I was able to be, bring him and for him to see, he was eight at the time, to see that and be part wow. of it. Cause I'm like, this is what you do. Yeah. You do this. If you don't like the way things are, you do something about it. You put on the, you use your voice. Mm-hmm. You know what's right. I'm curious. It sounds like there's been a bit of a process of kind of like reconnecting and learning so much in your adult life about your own people and your own tribe and and history and everything was that journey largely 
through this book or did that happen before? And uh, if it did, like how has, you know, writing this book, I'm sure you've connected with so many different people, you know, what has that looked like for you? Oh God, Jesus, you know, that's the one thing I love about writing is, um, is, is that I get to find me <laughs> mm-hmm. and figure out and, and my family, you know, my parents have both passed. And so I felt like for the longest time I was an orphan, even though my, they passed when I was 40, you know, and I thought, I don't have any connections, but you know, when I, through my book and like, I would be doing, um, for instance, I did an interview with Turtle Mountain newspaper and the person interviewing me had this last name um, that I recognized um, from my mother speaking of from, you know, like, just because like she would, all these names I knew from as a child. And so when he and I was speaking, I'm like, okay, so my mom has an old photo album. I'll show you. And, um, oh, may it's really old. I shouldn't, maybe anyway, it's so prettily read with flower. Anyway, I can't move it, but it was really, really old. And I said, there's a picture in there of people and Falcon is one of the last names. I said, I think that you're in your family's in my photo album. He goes, well, who are your family? So he's speaking, uh, start speaking of who our people are, you know? And he's like, oh my God, we're related. Ah, so he's like cousin, you know? So we're wow. cousins, you know? So that's the thing I love about this connection. And so since I've been, um, I've been, well, Standing Rock, I, I, I've really reached out to many, many people from Standing Rock itself uh, when, when the whole situation was happening so that I could uh, be, um, so I could, know them personally and just know that what I was sharing was actual factual truth from the people that were there and then I became really close friends with several of them I mean really like oh I just feel like they're my family now Mm -hmm. been wonderful from that standpoint and then I've um as far as my own tribe I have so many friends that I've connected to and relatives now that I've met through social media, thankfully. And then the tribal chairman and I are friends and I met him when he came here to DC. So that was good. I actually meet them and some of the council people. And then it's good to be able to be friends with them on, on social so that I can still be part of the, their lives and mm-hmm. be like, see the powwow because they just had the Turtle Mountain powwow. So I was able to be there mm-hmm. even though I wasn't there um mm, so, cool. yeah so that keeps me um oh that's I don't know what I would do without social media in that regard because yeah so so it's been yeah uh, I mean that I that's my connect you know now I just keep learning so much more because um and also because as you know so much that was out there well whatever was out there about it was not much mm-hmm. and still there's not much but you know, there was, there were non-Indigenous, Indigenous, non-Native people writing our stories and mm-hmm. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually, that statement takes us to the question I'd like to kind of wrap mm-hmm. with, which sure. is um, po- talking about policy. So this is a policy podcast, naming this podcast determination. It, it gets to a couple things. One, you know, the concept of self-determination. So in law school, we talk about like these two different concepts, one being sovereignty and one being self-determination and sovereignty. It's sort of like what the tribal government has. And like for my tribe, the Diné, the Navajo nation is like their government. Our government was largely set up in order for the extractive industry to have an official group of men to come to, to say like, can we extract from your land? And for them to say, yes. 
so that's, I guess that's sort of like the sovereignty idea is like that we are a sovereign nation federally recognized and we can make decisions about the lands that we have. Um, and then the self-determination is more what we're talking about here, this realm of you know, signing these contracts with the earth and with the water um, to say like this as a native person, this is how I want to live my life or as native people collectively, this is how we want to live our lives. And we want the freedom and space and ability to do that unhindered. And then it's interesting how, you know, sovereignty and self-determination can kind of play off of each other where sovereignty can protect that self-determination and self-determination can kind of be like the rudder for sovereignty of where is this ship sailing. I'm interested how your mind looks forward for the next generation, for the people who you wrote this book for, the children now, for your own son, and what you would like to see change, what's going to help us move forward in a better way. Land back. There is my that's it. That's a laugh. This was great. Thank you so much, Ed. (laughs) Really? You know, it's so true though. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we lived in South Africa for three years. Um and I love that country so much mm. uh, because I love the people and I love the Zulu indigenous. Well, I love the indigenous people. There's many different indigenous people, but we lived in Zulu mm. land. We lived in KwaZulu and Natal and Durban area. So the Zulu people were the main indigenous people that were there. And, uh, you know, it's just in a way, and now this is going to sound weird, funny, sad, horrible. But I think it, part of me and the reason why we went there was to run away, is, is I was running away from this country. And, hmm. you know, I was tired. We lived here in DC. So I was tired of seeing the Washington R hmm. football team, you know. Uh, I was tired of just seeing the way, I, it was just, it was hurting my heart so much. It was killing me. I was like, what the hell is going on? Why are you slandering us? And why are people think it's okay? And mm-hmm. why? Ah, so mm-hmm. just after so much time. And then so we have the, my have this opportunity to move to South Africa. And so we just said for, my son was five and um, I, actually we went to South Africa to do treatments to conceive my son. And that's when I mm-hmm. fell in love with the country because we had troubles trying to do that here in this country. So mm-hmm. I fell in love with South Africa and I felt like I was drawn there for some reason. And so we, I'm like, okay, we're moving here and I don't <laughs> care how it happens. So we made it work out. Well, I don't know. It was crazy. We moved there. Wow. Never, been never been to Durban in my life. Never seen, just to Cape Town. But just, mm-hmm. just felt the country the people there was something about it that just said I you know so when we moved there you know my heart was always with the indigenous people and the way after apartheid it only been 20-ish years but the way that people were treated still are treated is Mm. is is shocking it's shocking uh, and then you see the non-indigenous the white people there the, the 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 colonizer and it's like do you not understand that their life has not gotten better? Okay. Mm. You think apartheid is so wonderful, but it hasn't helped them. It has mm. helped you, mm-hmm. but it hasn't helped them. They're like, I don't understand. I, I don't know. My point, I guess, is that it's always, it's the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
And I realized it when I was there. You can't this it's it, you can't get away from the colonizer, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, it's that mindset. That's what I realized in South Africa when we lived there, is that all the game animals, game animals, the big five, the rhinos, the elephants, the giraffes, all these animals, they live on someone's farm. They don't just wander around willy-nilly. Yeah. Somebody owns them. Hmm. Like, what, what are you saying to me? You know, they like us. Mm-hmm. Somebody owns them. And who decided that? Well, they're protected that way. Protected that way. I don't see that really happening because mm-hmm. even the way rhinos horns are going and how many, how they're almost extinct. You're not doing a very good job. Mm-hmm. You just wanted to colonize them so you could own them, so you could sell them, so you could make money on people coming to their, you know, and doing the, whatever. It's mm-hmm. all, I don't have, that's always blown my mind. We don't look at the world that way, as you know. We don't look yeah. at the planet that way. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's ours. And we are all here to protect it. Yeah. There's this really interesting and amazing movement toward um, personhood for rivers and lakes and animals. And uh, it really like, it's crazy how much like we've afforded personhood to corporations in America, but haven't done so to the lakes and streams and, you know, these these relatives and it really makes sense I think to a lot of indigenous people that uh that they would have personhood that uh again Elizabeth Azuz was talking about like fire being a relative and they don't call themselves firefighters because you don't fight with family you know it's like a a copacetic relationship and um I love that movement and I saw speaking of line three um that they filed I think it was Honor the Earth filed a case on behalf of wild rice and they filed it. I don't know the word for wild rice in the language. The nomen. I think it's the okay. nomen. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. So yeah, uh-huh. so they filed a case on behalf of Menomen and in, in tribal court. And and speaking of sovereignty, mm-hmm. I just like made my heart <laughs> sore because it was like, yes, that's that's protection in a document in a legal, we've yes. finally made those worlds meet and that's what it looks like. And it's, I don't know if it will be how effective it will be right now, but I know that it will be, I know that it's really beautiful. And it. And I think we need to do it, you know, and mm-hmm. I, anybody who thinks they don't, and people who don't understand it, I don't, you, you, you. <laughs> oh, there's so much they don't understand. It's like subsistence hunting. Mm-hmm. We don't understand when they, when, when people get all up in the air about these things, like, what do you, you know, I remember posting something on my social media of something of one of my friends that lives in Alaska up in the like North slope. I mean, up by in Utrecht. Um, like, you know, it's like, is she wearing a seal skin? And I'm like, again, what do you think these people do? Do you understand grocery stores and mm-hmm. the fact that they don't just, you know, this is what they have to, this is, this is how it should be. Mm-hmm. Because when we do subsistence, subsistence we take mm-hmm. only what we need. And we, because we know we have to rely upon that to keep us living. That's yeah. what this colonization, this greedy mentality just does not get. Mm-hmm. We must rely on it again for this next seven generations. Yeah. We must remind, that's why when you take rice, you leave stuff. You mm-hmm. always leave when you take medicines, right? Because you know you can't take it all. But that's that colonizing mentality is I will take it all and then some. Yeah. And I'll make sure you don't get any. 
Yeah. The antithesis to that, it makes me think of, I don't know if you've read Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin. Oh, one of my favorite Bible. So beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm thinking is she has like these rules of gathering and rules of, you know, taking from the earth is that, and it's all about gratitude and giving back and never taking more than half and never taking the first thing that you see because it might be the last and, and Yep. It makes and honoring, it makes honoring. Think, yeah. So much honoring these plants. Like honoring. I tell myself, you don't just walk by a plant and pull on it. You know, I mean, these are our friends. These yeah. are our relatives. They are there for, they, they, what do they do for you? Well, they do everything for you. If we don't have yeah. trees, my God. Yeah. Their lungs, the lungs. Again, people just yeah. don't get that. They don't get that. Yeah. And the, the huge upside to that I've been really immersed in lately too, which is that when you see things around you in, through that lens, you're never alone in the most beautiful way. And it is, it's just a very different way to experience the world that feels so warm. Yes. And that's the thing I feel too. You are never alone. If any time I feel overwhelmed, all I have to do is go outside mm-hmm. and see a bird or look around my backyard because there's this one tree frog that just loves this little spot and I just like to go find him and just say hi <laughs> how you doing today you know that's all I need you just, just yeah. to know you're still here yeah. and you're still living and then eating your your flies but whatever that stuff and flowers and just honoring honoring all these life that isn't just two-legged life mm-hmm. honoring all the life mm-hmm. people are mis- I, I, that's just Again, I, that's that colonizing mentality of we can take it and, you know, we'll just cut flowers and pull and, you know, that they don't have a, a soul or I don't know. I, I, I love braiding sweetgrass. Mm-hmm. I love that book because of the way she speaks of everything. Yes, yeah. like it's so important because it is. I wish everybody would read that book. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's a wreck for everyone out there. People are always for asking sure. me about books and Please. yours and that one are definitely on my list. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think we've oh. made each other cry plenty. This I know. Morning, so. Sorry. I can talk <laughs> no. to you forever. You better come visit me in DC sometime. I would absolutely <laughs> love to. Thank you so much for really for having me and letting me just yeah. spew. spew. I like to spew. I'm a talker. Oh, I- <laughs> I love it. I think that people will really appreciate everything we've covered here because I really appreciate it. So this is oh, I perfect. did too. I love talking to you. I really yeah, did. It was a joy. Absolutely joy. Good. You take good care of yourself. And you I do absolutely well. will. You too. Thank you so much, Carol. I'll talk to you Thank soon. Thank you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Determination. This episode is produced by me, Dara Blackwater. Our intro music today was Move, I'm Indigenous by Aqualoo Berlison. And our outro music is A Distance by Kale Crow. Aikiahe to Kale and Akulu for making music for us to thrive to. Until next time, hagone. Whatever you plan on doing, I just hope you plan on doing it soon. Cause I'm wide awake, lying away for that embrace to come and leave me in ruin. Remember the time like photographs, the moment passes wicked and cruel. Don't let it ride, find the focus that you started with and just make it through.